Gentile. Maybe you're familiar with that term, maybe not. It means not Jewish. A Gentile is a person who's not of a Jewish nation, not of a Jewish um, faith. And in the Bible, anyone not of the Jewish heritage would be considered a Gentile. And this is a distinction that has obvious ethnic overtones, also one that included disdain usually for the non-Jewish party. Gentiles historically had little interest in the revelation of God through the law and the prophets. They often had their own gods. They often worshipped false gods. They were viewed as those with darkened, compromised minds and understanding. The Jews and the Gentiles were frequently depicted in the Bible as separated in the camps of us and them. And unless we grasp that division, try to get a, a handle on the depth of that division, thousands of years-long racial religious divides between these groups, then we're not going to be able to fully appreciate what God is up to in uh, our text this morning from Acts 10 and 11. Because, you see, a great wall of hostility exists between the Jews and the Gentiles, a wall that had been fortified and built by generations of conflict. And there was little to no thought given to how that wall might be torn down, how those parties might be reconciled. It really wasn't a goal of anyone's. When it came to God, the Jews considered themselves the haves, and they considered the Gentiles to be the have-nots. And that's the societal, the religious, and the political context of this morning's passage. Now we're going to tackle a large piece of scripture this morning and so what I'd like to do is something a little bit different. Rather than reading all of it to you because we're going to go Acts chapter 10 and we're going to go partway into Acts chapter 11. So rather than reading the whole passage to you, I'd like us to walk through this one together. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you'll find one in the seat back in front of you, looks like this. Feel free to use that Bible, grab one, you're going to want one because it's going to take a while for us to get through this passage this morning. If you're using the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 1091, give you a shortcut, right? You don't even have to look hard, 1091 in the Bibles provided. Acts chapter 10. But as always, before we get to the text, we need to pray. We are so thankful, Father, that every time we open your word, you speak. And we are grateful for the Holy Spirit who allows us to understand what it is that you are saying. And we ask you again for your help today. We want to know more about you. We want to understand the purpose of your word. So show it to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 10, verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, 
gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So Caesarea is a city on the coast, a center of commerce, functioning under the rule of the Roman Empire. Cornelius, not a Jewish name in case you didn't pick that up, you know, Jacob and Abraham and Cornelius. Um, he's not a Jewish person. He is an employee of the Romans. He was a centurion. Typically meant he was the commander of a company of 100 soldiers. And he is kind of the picture of what, what the Israelites in that day would detest, a reminder of their occupied status, a foreigner with power. And yet, Luke quickly injects some information here, right, that's inconvenient for those who may want to hate and despise on account of race or status. This Roman was devout. He feared God with all his household, and he was generous to others, and he prayed continually to God. So right away, there's a wrinkle in our understanding of who this man is, at least if we were going to go along those traditional Jewish Gentile lines. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, because the Jewish prayer routine consisted of three prayers offered in the morning, afternoon, and evening, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, which is the proper response anytime an angel invades your prayer time, <laughs> and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So now we have a Gentile man who breaks the mold, who defies the convenient stereotypes of Gentiles everywhere by being attuned to the living God. And look at this. God hears his prayers. God hears the prayers of this Gentile. God sees the life of Cornelius and God commends him. And God's angel commands him. And now send men to Joppa, verse 5, and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, coincidentally, that's where we left off last time, right? He's staying with Simon, the tanner, and now guess what? Here it is, the angel saying, you're going to go find this guy. He's living with a guy named Simon, a tanner. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Joppa, you may recall from last week, is where the beloved Tabitha has just been raised from the dead. And where, as a result of that, and Peter's preaching, many are coming to know Jesus. So there's a, a bit of a revival going on in that area of the country. Verse 9, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city... Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So we're only a few verses in here in chapter 10. We ought to notice the habits of two men that God is working through. They are both prayer dependent. They are both prayer dependent. They are both mighty in their own right. They are, they are able, capable men. Peter is known as a bastion of faith. And power, right? It's his, it's, the, it's his shadow that people wanted to catch a portion of in order to have healing earlier in the book of Acts. So Peter is a powerful man. Cornelius is a commander of men. And he's got servants and he's got soldiers. And, and yet we see already both of them are in the habit of meeting with God in prayer. Let us hope that we never get too big. That we lose our sense of our need for God. 
Peter and Cornelius, both prayer-dependent men. As Peter prayed, verse 10, he became hungry. <laughs> he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. This is a vision that Peter is experiencing. And the language that Luke uses to describe it, by the way, trying to describe a vision is impossible. I mean, the, 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 the language is limited. He's trying to describe something that is indescribable. And in that process, we would note that the language Luke uses to describe it is apocalyptic. The heavens opened and something like a great sheet. It's not a sheet, but it's like a sheet. It's not a tablecloth. Something, something big and has four corners is coming down. It's like a sheet, and it descends. It's something like John's writing in the book of Revelation, right? You see that in John's book. It's like this. It's like that. We're trying to capture it. We have to use our imaginations in order to envision this. And in it, verse 12, were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You see, when it comes to his diet, Peter is a rule keeper. And the Jewish dietary laws were very strict. And if you've read through the book of Leviticus, you've read about some of those laws. And so it, it, God was very clear to his people about what was acceptable to eat and what was not acceptable to eat. And good Jews followed the dietary rules. And we get a sense here that Peter's kind of proud of his record uh, in this matter. He has never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So, do you notice there's something about Peter in threes? Okay? That seems to be an important number for Peter. Three times he denied the Lord Jesus. Three times... He professes his love to the resurrected Christ when Jesus challenges him and when Jesus recommissions him and says, if you love me, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Three times. And now it seems three times he sees this vision. Three times he wrestles with it and he's told not to call unclean what God has made clean. Three seems to be a pretty good number to get your head around something, right? I didn't get it the first time, maybe not get it the second time. How about the third time? Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And some people actually, some commentators think that because these were Gentile folks coming into Jewish territory, they stood at the gate. They didn't even want to go up and knock on the door. That may or may not be the case. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down 
and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. We have seen this now several times in our study of the book of Acts, but I have to bring it up one more time, okay? The, the various visions and the messengers and the timing of everything here leaves us no room for doubt. What is happening in this very instance, what is happening in the church as it moves now to the inclusion of the Gentiles is directly from the hand of God. Understand that. This is God's plan unfolding. So Peter obeyed and went down to the men. And he said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Which is kind of, it's kind of interesting in this story that the Spirit gives some details, but not all details. Go down and meet him, but he doesn't tell him exactly why. So what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. That 23rd verse, he invited them in to be his guests. That's probably a little more meaningful than the meaning we would ascribe to it. Obviously, they had just come a long way, 30-some miles anyway on foot. They couldn't just hop in their car and head back, right? They're not going to take the next train. But still, for Jews to mingle with Gentiles in the same home is a stretch, a stretch of the usual social mores between the two groups. And also... Maybe this is an indication that Peter is beginning to figure out what this vision was all about. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. This little detail is going to show up later in, the, in verse 45. These men who are with Peter are going to serve as witnesses for what is about to happen. Everything in the Bible is for a purpose, it's there on purpose. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him, which is a sign, obviously, of great reverence and respect and also the humility of a man named Cornelius. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. That's very refreshing that Peter is loath to take any sort of credit upon himself. Right? He's not going to take credit for the healings that he's associated with, even though people want to ascribe that to him. He's not going to act as if he has the power to dispense the Holy Spirit the way Simon the magician might have wanted him to. Peter is constantly deferring to God. I am just a man. He's just a follower of Jesus. I wonder if Jesus won't do great things to those who are willing to do exactly as Peter is doing. If we weren't so eager to take credit for ourselves and if we weren't so interested in building our own kingdoms, if we could say in true and honest humility, I'm just a follower of Jesus. If anything good happens as a result of my life, that's all because of him. It's not me. Don't bow down to me. Don't worship me. You stand up. I'm just a man. And as he talked with Cornelius, he went in and found many persons gathered. The indication is that he didn't know there was going to be more people there. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So he's got, a, he's got an audience that he probably wasn't expecting. And yet he starts out speaking to them, you know how unlawful it is 
for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone of another nation. His reference here is not properly to law, but to practice. So what Peter is saying is, you know, everyone knows if a Jew associates with a Gentile, there's going to be a price to be paid. Not only is he likely to be criticized by all of his fellow Jews for what he's doing, he's also probably going to become ritually unclean. So Peter, what Peter is saying here is that he's breaking protocol. And not just any any protocol, centuries-old protocol, and he's doing it for a good reason. Because God has shown me, he says, that I should not call any person common or unclean. See, his vision on the rooftop was not just about food. It was about people. No person should be called common or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without objection I asked then why you sent for me. What do you guys want? What do you need from me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I went for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come to me. Now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. Whoa, there isn't a preacher in the world who doesn't want to hear that. (laughs) We're all here to hear what you have to say, what God has laid on your heart. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes to draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. To draw near to hear. And that is exactly what these Gentiles have done as they gathered in Cornelius' home. And so, of course, what does Peter want to share with them? You know the answer to this. He shares the gospel. The good news that salvation is in Jesus Christ. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So Peter immediately begins to testify to the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The word has been sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Now we're in the season of Advent now, and we remember the promise of this peace. That it was declared to the shepherds and to, uh, by angels and by a multitude of the heavenly hosts, right? Luke, Luke chapter 2, on the night of Christ's birth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The birth of The Messiah, Jesus, would be good news of great joy for all people. He would bring more than peace to Israel in the fulfillment of Scripture's promises, but he's going to bring peace to all who would receive him. 
because they'll be invited to share in messianic peace. And this peace includes more than reconciliation to God, but peace on earth, peace among men, peace between Jew and Gentile, knocking down the wall of hostility between these two groups. Remember when the angel and uh, the aged, I mean, devout man, um, Simeon, held the baby Jesus. Again, I'm in Luke chapter 2. Uh, in the temple at the time of Christ's dedication. Having been told, this is one of my favorite Bible stories. Probably you know because I talk about it all the time. Um, but having been told by the Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. It's just a beautiful, like, hey, hang in there, but you're going to get something that nobody, very few people have this privilege, Simeon. You're going to see this baby. You're going to see this Christ you remember when he held the baby Jesus at the time of Jesus' dedication and he prayed, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I can depart in peace. I have seen your salvation, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That's not a new idea, you know. The inclusion of the Gentiles was an Old Testament theme, but one that the Jewish people often ignored. Do you find yourself ever doing that with scripture that seems inconvenient? <laughs> it doesn't line up with what you want to believe. It doesn't line up with what you value. So are you going to yield to it or are you going to make it yield to you? And there have been hundreds and years of more of that that people, the Jewish people really weren't that interested or paying attention to this Old Testament theme of the inclusion of the Gentiles. Isaiah prophesied about this. The Gospel writer Matthew ascribes his words to Jesus, chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus said, John chapter 10, verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. At the end of his life, Jesus gave, at the end of his earthly time, Jesus gave this great commission, right, to his disciples. It included ministry to all nations, the good news of Jesus is for all people everywhere. And here in Acts 10, we're watching the birth of this reality. As Peter shares the story of Jesus, of his life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection. If you look at verse 43, I think, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. This is the message of the Bible. Peter's sermon like any good sermon, is meant to persuade those gathered to come to a decision about Jesus and to receive his forgiveness. This sermon is no different. It is meant to persuade you who are gathered 
to receive the forgiveness of Christ if you have not. For it is your salvation and it is your means to eternal life. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Guys, this is a, a similar reaction that the crowds had at Pentecost. Remember Acts chapter 2. As the Spirit descends in power and the people see and the people hear, they're in awe. Now the Jewish converts to Christianity here, who Peter brought along with him, they are having that same idea, that same experience of awe, perplexed in a way, shocked in a way, almost in disbelief. But why? Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And the evidence of the Spirit's presence on this Gentile congregation was something they couldn't argue about, something that was indisputable, unmistakable. They're hearing them speaking in tongues, and they're extolling God. And Peter has just spoken about how the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus with power, the same Spirit came on the church at Pentecost in great power. Peter has that spirit on him as an apostle. And now it is on Cornelius and it is on his household. They're all partakers of the same spirit. And this reality is affirmed by their speaking in tongues and their praising God. Come to find out this isn't a Jewish thing. All right? This is an everyone thing. The magnitude of that probably escapes us because we are A, Gentiles, and B, we already know this. But if you could just take yourself back to a time when it wasn't so, you would know how groundbreaking, earth-shaking this revelation is. These people who we always thought would be outside and weren't too upset about that are now being invited by God himself inside. It's an amazing transformation. Peter asks, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? One might ask, well, do you think it was a genuine experience that they were having? Do you think that this was real? Do you think that the Apostle Peter would be eager to baptize anyone he thought wasn't saved? Of course not. Absolutely not. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Anyone got an argument to make? They have received the Holy Spirit the same way that we have, just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no hesitancy in Peter now to see that God's salvation truly is for all. And so he just goes ahead and initiates the next step. And what is the next step after one believes the gospel, friend? It is to be baptized. It is to... It is to associate with the church it is baptism and having clearly received the spirit of God it was only appropriate for this Gentile crowd to then participate in the sign and command given by Jesus which confirms their inclusion in God's family which is water baptism now we move into chapter 11 I'm going to read through 18 verses fairly quickly here Peter's going to have to answer for this. Okay? This is out of the norm. This is somewhat unexpected. And Peter is going to have to answer for it. Acts chapter 11. 
Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which uh, we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. I love verse 18. Okay? Everyone falls silent. And you can just see them. You can just see them. They, they, they don't have words. They don't have a response. They're hearing the testimony of what God is up to. And they just, they can't speak. And then finally, somebody looks at somebody else and they're like, well then. I mean, that's it. The whole thing is shifted. Well then, I guess, God, I guess God is letting the Gentiles in. He's granted them repentance that leads to life. Moving on. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But again, I think the weightiness of it is hard for us because we're on the other side of it. But maybe if you've ever been excluded from something that you really wanted to be part of, you can begin to understand how wonderful this is. If you've, if you've always felt yourself disqualified from something that you wanted to be qualified for, maybe you, can, maybe you can start to relate to this. That's a lot of scripture that we've covered, a lot more than we usually cover. But it all goes together, you see. It's not the kind of thing you'd want to break up in little pieces. It all goes together. So let's ask this as we get ready to close. What's the point? Commentator Ben Witherington III calls this a story of conversion. He says it is a tale of two sorts of conversions. Peter was converted to a new point of view about Gentiles as part of God's people, and Cornelius and his household were converted to a new view of Jesus Christ. Tony Marita summarizes this portion of Scripture succinctly. He writes this, The point of this narrative is this, The gospel is for the nations. That's it. Jesus is for the Gentiles, and the Gentiles can be for Jesus. In Christ, there is forgiveness of sins and the hope of salvation for everyone. 
everyone. So as we begin this season of Advent, where our songs and our traditions and our worship transport us back in time to the waiting of the birth of the Messiah, our scripture this morning in Acts invites you to come and behold this Savior who is for all people everywhere who will acknowledge their need to be saved. Isaac Watts is a name many will recognize. In his lifetime, he penned more than 750 songs earning him the title, The Godfather of Hymnody. <laughs> Many of Watts's creations are still sung in Christian churches today, titles that are familiar, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, and of course the one we love to sing this time of the year, though it isn't really necessarily a Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Now, not every song a hymn writer writes is going to be a hit, okay? And the law of averages given uh, when Isaac Watts wrote his songs would dictate that most of the songs would no longer be sung, including the one I'm going to share with you now, which may have been undone by its not-so-catchy title, Gentiles by Nature, comma, We Belong. He writes such beautiful songs, the title. I can't find the tune to this thing. I wish I could. If I could have found a tune, we might have even tried to sing it. But it's really the words. It's the words that are worth the listen, okay? The words are worth the listen. Gentiles by nature, we belong to the wild olive wood. Grace took us from the barren tree and grafts us in the good. With the same blessing, grace endows the Gentile and the Jew. If pure and holy be the root, such are the branches too. Then let the children of the saints be dedicate to God. Pour out thy spirit on them, Lord, and wash them in thy blood. Thus to the parents and their seed shall thy salvation come, and numerous households meet at last in one eternal home. Many households, one family in Jesus. <laughs> 